do you ever get frustrated by the kids in your life, your students, your own offspring or young family members who aren't really taking in what you're consistently trying to teach them about other people's feelings, about how to get what they want without being obnoxious or breaking rules, about the best ways to make friends, about sharing and pushing and yelling, about fighting, about everything that you think are the best ways for them to live happy and good lives. Mm, I feel you. Now, let me ask you another question. When you were the age that your students, your own offspring, or young family members are now, how much did you take in what the grown-ups in your life were trying to teach you about other people's feelings? about how to get what you wanted without being obnoxious or breaking rules, about the best way to make friends and sharing and pushing and yelling and fighting, and about living more happily with others. Be honest, what was it like for you? I recently read an article in Psychology Today written by Peter Gray, a well-respected research professor at Boston College. In the article, Professor Gray shines a bright light on something we all know in our heart of hearts to be true. But as we age and grow farther away from our own childhoods, most of us have probably forgotten to one degree or another. I know that I did for a long time when my kids were growing up, and I regret it to this day. And that's why I'm feeling pretty much a whole lot of energy to share the thoughts uh, in this podcast episode. I want to share the core of Peter Gray's insights from that article with you because they so powerfully coincide with my own experiences as a parent and as an educator. And they also, his insights also coincide with the observations of all the educators that I most respect. I wonder what your response will be, and I wonder if you'll agree with his observations. I'd really like to hear from you about that. Nini White here. Welcome to the Big Picture Social-Emotional Learning Podcast. Children are designed, programmed, if you will, to learn and grow with other children. The adults and kids' lives nurture them, feed them, and comfort them, along with teaching them, guiding them, influencing them, modeling attitudes and behaviors for them. But And I hope you'll think back to your own childhood here. For kids, the actual assimilation, the embodied digestion, the reliable retention of all that we attempt to teach children happens to a significant degree during and because of the times kids spend processing what we've tried to teach them when they're in the active and engaged company of other kids. What does that look like? Well, you've noticed how much children pay attention to and adapt to other kids' behaviors, preferences, activities, focus of attention, yes? It's instinctive for them. Of course, they pay special attention to us when they're in need of safety, comfort, and food, and all the love we want to give them, but the remainder of kids' days are largely and naturally consumed with paying attention to other kids in their lives, fitting in with them, sharing interests, doing what they do, learning what they learn, seeing the world through various perspectives. In other words, building meaningful belonging with others to whom they 
naturally feel most similar, their peers. Anthropologists tell us that through most of recorded human history, spending time with other children is how children develop their understanding of the world, how they how they negotiated the ins and outs of daily life. And today that is just as true as it has been for centuries. Peter Gray wrote, Wherever anthropologists have observed traditional cultures and paid attention to children as well as adults, they have observed two cultures, the adults' culture and the children's culture. The two cultures, of course, are not completely independent of one another. They interact and influence one another. And children, as they grow up, gradually leave the culture of childhood and enter into the uh, culture of adulthood. But what's worthwhile to consider here is that children's cultures can be understood, at least to some degree, as practice cultures, where children try out various ways of being by practicing modifying, and building upon the skills and values of the adult culture. Children from roughly the age of four on through their mid-teen years just naturally prefer to spend most of their waking time playing, thinking, and or exploring with groups of other children. Anthropologists who studied children in traditional cultures also wrote about children's involvement. They also wrote about children's involvement in peer groups as, get this, the primary means of kids' socialization and education. If you look back in time to your own childhood, when were you most drawn to be with adults? And how often were you inclined to spend time with other kids? Of course, the answers to those questions will have a lot to do with the quality of relationships you had with adults and with other kids. But for most Spending time with other kids was the most natural thing in the world. Peter Gray has a few research-based explanations for that shared inclination and set of experiences. Gray first uh, focuses in on comparing communication styles. Adults' verbal interactions with kids most often have more to do with trying to teach children something or trying to control them in some way, obvious or not so obvious, than actually seeking to build bridges of meaningful connection. Kids' peer-to-peer communication, in stark contrast, is mainly directed towards immediate personal and shared relevancies. No lectures, no agendas. Gray's next area of focus that helps us to appreciate kids' need for lots of shared kid time is brought home by another observation with which we are all familiar. Kids' natural move towards independence and self-rule. By the age of two, yes, those so-called terrible twos we've all observed and lived through, when children's favorite word is no, that is when we first start to see children making that instinctive move. We can even say hardwired transition towards living their own lives on their own terms. Typically around the age of four, children want, children need genuine opportunities to try out ways of thinking and being 
that are not overly controlled by adults. Amongst themselves, children readily, enthusiastically even, welcome opportunities to solve their shared challenges together, rather than relying on adults to figure out everything for them. Adults really need to understand and respect, ki- respect kids' developmental requirement for age-appropriate problem-solving challenges without intervening and trying to make kids' problems quickly disappear. When kids together get involved with problem-solving challenges, one thing we've all observed, and perhaps we remember from our own childhood, is that rules are not always black and white. Sure, kids will know what the rules are, but when it's just them all together, they're inclined to think outside the box, which is generally a valuable tendency if creativity is to remain alive and well in our youth. Perhaps the newly replaced rule works, and perhaps it doesn't, but what really matters is the learning that happens in that exploration of new ideas and possibilities. That's important learning, very important learning. Learning that goes much, much deeper than just flat-out lectures or mandates from adults. The famous developmental psychologist Jean Piaget noted long ago that children develop a more sophisticated and useful understanding of rules when they play with other children than when they play with adults. With adults, they get the impression that rules are fixed, that they come down from some authority on high and cannot be changed. But when children play with other children, because of the more equal nature of the relationship between them, they feel free to challenge one another's ideas about the rules, which often leads to negotiation and even change in rules. They learn in this way that rules are not fixed by heaven, but are human contrivances to make life more fun and more fair. This is a really important lesson. In fact, it's a cornerstone of democracy. So, what does the natural-born instinct for independence combined with the deep-seated impulse for creative problem-solving evolve into when given the chance? This is important, really, really important. Even though many kids may appear to be shutting us out or shutting down when we're attempting to teach them important lessons about behavior for their social-emotional learning and well-being, they are taking in what we are most consistently communicating to them. The thing is, and we've all observed this, children don't just mimic what we tell them, what they observe in our words, our behavior, and our attitudes. What a dull and uninteresting world that would be if they did, huh? Instead, and brain science very, very precisely explains how and why, children interpret what they're told and what they observe. Together, peers are able to filter what they're told and what they observe through their personal perspectives in alignment with the group's perspective and their own conscience, their own feelings and emotions, their own intuition, and their own set of developing values through the funnel of the most worthwhile contributions of their peers. This is how each new generation builds upon and creatively improves upon their parents' worldview 
and sets of solutions. Children from their earliest ages need constructive, creative, mutually respectful opportunities to think together and to problem-solve together. Today we're all stuck at home because of the coronavirus epidemic. Once this challenge is resolved, the world is going to be in even greater need for our kids, our students, to get into healthy and wholesome, to grow into healthy and wholesome individuals who are familiar with and comfortable with solving problems in cooperation with others. That skill based on getting along with others as equals, as mutually respectful equals, is what this world so seriously needs them to grow into. And the younger our kids and our students have those kinds of opportunities, the better for all of us. If it is our true intention to enable children to grow up to be effective, cooperative, collaborative, mutually respectful problem solvers, then they must practice problem solving with peers with respectful guidance, but without unnecessary interference from adults. That's hard for some of us to hear, to consider even, because we know, or we think we know, that we can usually arrive at solutions much more quickly and much less messily than kids. But the very fact of our greater size, our greater strength, and our obvious control of just about everything that matters to kids gives us seriously unfair veto power and imbalanced advantages, which, if exercised too often, have the very unfortunate effect of creating either rebellion in our younger ones or meekness, malleability, resignation, and passivity, qualities that will be dangerously unhelpful for creating a better world that works for all. You do not need me to tell you that raising and educating children is the most challenging endeavor in anyone's life. Challenging because there is never just one right answer, one right approach. When we get it right, though, there is nothing in life capable of rewarding us more completely and entirely. On that note, get ready for my follow-up to this episode with what might seem like a completely contradictory perspective. It won't be, but at first glance, it could appear to be contradictory, that is. In fact, it will provide another important dimension for children's well-rounded development based on strong and healthy relationships between children and adults. I look forward to sharing those ideas with you, and as always, I hope... I mean, I'm counting on you to help me to help others learn about this podcast that seeks to go beyond the obvious one-dimensional right-wrong should-shouldn't answers to acknowledge and embrace the unbounded possibilities of all that it means to be human and to nurture the humanity, the social-emotional learning of the children in our care, in our classrooms, in our lives. Thank you. Thank you.